We have been looking at this whole idea this year of stewardship, and, um, and we're in a series called Not Yours, and looking at all these things that we have a tendency to take possession of and say, this is mine, and yet, ultimately, if you're people who have decided to follow Jesus, he says, no, that's not yours, you've given that right over to me. And for all of you who have yet to make a decision to follow Jesus, you're not so sure about Christianity. I hope that you're hearing, I hope you're here again today that God is not just for people who have made decisions to follow him, but the way that God has ordered and orchestrated our life works for everyone if we make a decision that maybe we can trust this or maybe we'll try this out and you'll find that I think it works too. So we're going to be looking at this concept of my body. This is a big one in our world and our culture today. It's my body. I can do with it what I want. Don't tell me what I, what I, I can or I cannot do with my body. Big time in our culture, we hold on to this one pretty strongly. Um, we, 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 we take it as, as probably one of the most important rights that we have. Um, and yet, and yet, first of all, if we do follow Jesus, uh, he makes it pretty clear that we've already given him that right over. And so let's look at this in 1 Corinthians 6. Uh, we're going to read several verses here, 12 to 20, and then we'll talk about it. So, I have the right to do anything, Paul says, quoting a phrase that was known in the Corinthian church. I have a right to do anything, he says, but not everything is beneficial. He quotes him again. You've been saying, I have the right to do anything, but he says, but I will not be mastered by anything. One more thing, he says, you say food is for the stomach and stomach is for the food, and God will destroy them both. But Paul says, however, the body is meant not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said the two will become one flesh, quoting Genesis and the, kind of the concept of marriage, verse 17. But whoever is united with the Lord is, the one, is one with him in spirit. Flee from sexual immorality. All of their sins a person commits outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. You do, not know that your, um, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you've received from God? You are not your own. You are bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. All right, here we go. <laughs> So my body, like I said, in our culture today, um, we, we love to talk about my rights and, uh, and my, my own authority, and it, and it kind of cracks me up because I still hear it sometimes. People think the Bible is out of date or irrelevant. <laughs> I'm like, I'm pretty sure they wrote that last week um, because this is the same saying that the Corinthians were using then is the same things we say now. Hey, I have the right to do whatever I want. Don't tell me what, what to do. Your right is your right, and my right is my right. And, uh, you know, humans just haven't changed very much in several thousand years. Um, we just put on different faces, uh, grab different technology, but nothing's really changed in our hearts. Um, you know, this, this has a lot to do with all sorts of ethics. I, can ha I have the right to do anything. I, I read to you a couple years ago about a girl, I think it was in Australia or New Zealand, who for college education, there's been some in the United States, but this girl sold her virginity online to pay for college, right? And most people think, I mean, that's crazy, that's ridiculous, that's disgusting, but you have to go a little bit further than that and say, well, why is that though? I believe as people who know Jesus and who follow Jesus, I, I think the days of just telling people, you just can't do that, it's just wrong, the Bible says so, is not enough. It should have never been enough, but it's not enough in a culture where people don't listen, don't know the Bible, don't care about the Bible anyway. I mean, either God has actually set a course that says this is the best way that you can live your life and that we should all find enjoyment in that, or, or I, don't, I don't think the wagging the fingers and just saying there's a bunch of things you're supposed to do and things you're not supposed to do 
is really what works. I don't, I don't, it work, didn't work for me as a kid, and I don't think it works for most people. Well, why, why shouldn't somebody sell their virginity online for college? What's the big deal with that? Well, it's just wrong. You shouldn't do that. It's just a violation. Yeah, but why? Digging down. What, what is the reasons? What's the biblical reasons why, why God would prohibit something like that? We're going to look at that today. But basically, in our world today, we love to claim moral, sexual autonomy for our lives. Autonomy meaning just complete independence. The, the definition of the word that we make up for the word autonomy means having your own laws, and so we love to just act independently with a freedom to act and to live like we would like to live. And so this is our philosophy, in other words, in our culture today, and I'm glad that the young people have stayed around, is this is the theology of our culture, is that really you are autonomous. Of course, a, a, a grand scheme of things of saying that there is no God or if there is, he's certainly not involved in our world, so you don't need to worry about what he may have to say about your life. And so we just live with this moral and sexual autonomy that just says, hey, if you enjoy it, if you like it, then go for it because nobody else should have any right over your body or how you feel or what you do. Here's the thing, Paul is actually going to argue at this very level that that philosophy or that theology is what's wrong. Before you just start pointing to things saying, do this and don't do that, what Paul's really going to do is say, here's what you're supposed to do, to give them a vision of what it looks like to be someone who follows Jesus, who believes that Jesus wanted to revolutionize this world, revolutionize our sexual lives, revolutionize our relational lives. Paul's basically going to say, this is what it means. This is what we do as people who follow Jesus, instead of just listing off a bunch of things saying, well, you just can't do that. Listen, that doesn't work, parent, that doesn't work. You've got to understand what God actually says we can do and what it's all about. I love his statement. He quotes them. I have the right to do anything. But he says, but not everything is beneficial. And what he means by is, it may be the right thing for you, but it's not the right thing for everybody else you're playing with. I know this with, with Lego illustrations with a, with a five and an eight-year-old. You, you come over to my house and you watch autonomy in action, right? In my little living room. And then you can just put that on the macro level of why things don't work. Because if either of my sons just decide, I'm going to play the way I want to, the other one is going to inevitably within seconds get upset because I, well, I want that plane. And it just doesn't work. I mean, we know it at a very basic, very kid level that living some sort of autonomy, like I can just live like I want, you live like you want, does not work if you want to live with anybody else. If you actually want a society where we can get along. We can't all be just saying, well, I'm living for myself and I want to do what I want. And sometimes we, we want to try to disassociate sexually and, oh, I don't think we'll be able to get all into it. But I'll tell you what, I spend most of my time in the toughest parts of counseling dealing with people who have been hurt and abused sexually. I'll tell you right now, what may be good for you may cause scars in someone's life for the rest of their life. And so Paul says, man, there's a higher plane, a different plane to live by if you follow Jesus. That philosophy is not beneficial for everyone. Yeah, it may be for you, but Jesus has called us to live differently. He says, you have the right to do anything, quoting them again, but he says, but I will not be mastered by anything. And basically what Paul is saying is, you know, even saying I have the freedom and the autonomy to live like I want, you're now just submitting yourself to the new master, which is you saying, I'll live by whatever I want or whatever I desire, whatever I want to have, whatever pleases me. That's just simply your master. That's simply your law. And Paul says, you know what, as someone who has found Jesus, he says, I don't want to be mastered by anything, including my own desires over Jesus. 
And that's just kind of stuff in our culture that's like psycho. I know I'm like preaching against all the flow. Well, not me, but the Bible. To literally, Paul would just say, you know what? Even if I feel like it or it's a pleasure or desire of mine, I'm not even gonna be mastered by that. I want Jesus to be my master. So let's, let's dig into this. My body is not my body, ultimately. <laughs> the Bible actually says that your body belongs to, in a way, three other people, <laughs> okay? Your body belongs to God. It belongs to your spouse. And it ultimately, maybe it's a stretch, but I'm gonna use it. I believe it belongs to the world, and I'll explain why. So it's understood in three contexts, and the Bible says that your body is actually certain things in relation to God and to your spouse and to the world. The first is that your body is a temple. We just read it a minute ago. Your body is a temple because it belongs to the Lord. Verses 13, 19, and 20, the body, however, is for the Lord. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you've received from God? You are not your own. You are bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? The temple was the place where God resided. In other words, your body is God's house. Your body is God's house if you're someone who says, I'm following Jesus, and so because it's God's house and you invited him in, you're basically saying, guess what? My life is no longer just about me and trying to live for myself, but my, my body and my life is about honoring you. And this is really interesting in our culture because without God being in the center of it, and think about this, God's presence comes and he dwells. He lives in us when we invite him in there. That means when we do that, there's this intrinsic, this internal value of worth that comes into our lives from God that frees us from trying to find value and worth through all the externals because now the value is on the inside. And whether we want to say it out loud or not, we know we live this way in our culture because we, 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 we aspire to, people spend all kinds of money, they have surgeries to make themselves look more beautiful on the outside, to look more handsome. To, have you seen this guy in the news that had like 100 surgeries to make himself look like a Ken Barbie doll? I mean, to me, he looks disgusting um, because he doesn't look real, but he is addicted, they say, to, to uh, you know, plastic surgery. But because when, when there's nothing internal, listen carefully, when there's nothing internal that is guiding you and balancing you and saying, here's where your value comes from, we naturally, as human beings now, find our value in the externals. And so if it's not in looking good, literally, this is what you call idolatry, it could become in your fitness. And, 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 and in, if you're in shape and if you can't exercise for a few days, it's not just, oh, that's a bummer, I wish I could exercise. No, it throws you into depression because you know not being fat or not looking a certain way is where you find your value. And so we're, we're constantly looking and constantly exercising or dieting or trying to look a certain way. Or if you're none of those things, you're kind of in the other group that's just like, I give up on all that stuff. I'm not even gonna try. But that's still just idolatry. That's still just saying, I, I don't care, and I don't like those people, and, and uh, you know, I'll find my worth in something else, and what I do, or in, in the money I make, or whatever, and it's just all these things trying to establish value on the external, where the Bible says that if you give yourself to God, he, he becomes and He dwells inside of you, therefore in our bodies, we honor God, which means we want to draw attention to Him and not ourselves. We become free of all this self-focus, self-obsession, attention of trying to look and be a certain way and feel a certain way because we're, we're trying to bring value to ourselves and we get, we, we get to eliminate all that and just get to honor God. But listen, the opposite is true. Let me read you the message version, <laughs> verse 13. I love the way that Eugene, Eugene Peterson translated the Bible here and he says in verse 13, 
You know the old saying, first you eat to live and then you live to eat. Well, it may be true that the body is only a temporary thing, but that's no excuse for stuffing your body with food or indulging it with sex. Since the master honors you with the body, honor him with your body. That also means even though we can't live our life saying, look at me, we also give up the life that just says, I don't really care about me. And God actually has something to say about our health and our fitness, about eating right, living in moderation, having healthy habits, and even exercising. Because our bodies are meant to honor and bring attention to him. And so we want to live long lives because God's given us a different purpose and a different mission than living for ourselves or just making money. And so I want to eat right and I want to be healthy. And so there's a, there's a biblical reason for all of that as we honor God. All right? So the body's a temple. It belongs to God. I told you we've got to go quick. Number two, the body is a member. It belongs to your spouse. All right, this one's a little bit more cryptic, a little bit but I think it'll make sense, right? The body is a member. It says it right there. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself, right? And so when, when the Bible talks about your body being a member, and in, in this sense, it's talking about it in a, in a sexual sense, the body says that your body is for your spouse. Even if you're not married here today, it's for your spouse, a future spouse. And this is maybe where some people say, see, I know it, the Bible, Christianity, it's so old-fashioned. I mean, that's just stuff that they used to do. Can I just tell you something? Please read history. Because what is old-fashioned is people having sex with whoever and whenever they want throughout all of history. When Jesus and, and the Bible comes and says, here's a new sexuality, this has never been the tradition. This has been the alternate way to live your life and achieve fulfillment and satisfaction. That is, so, that is so ridiculous and so ignorant of history to think, well, that's just so old-fashioned. Are you kidding me? The Bible was written to people thousands and thousands of years ago to teach them a new ethic to try to break what comes natural in our human nature. Oh my goodness, this is not old-fashioned, new-fashioned. This is living for yourself or living for something entirely different. And when the Bible says you're talking about sexuality, it says you give yourself to your spouse. Listen, it says in verse 13, quoting them, you say food for the stomach and stomach for the food and God will destroy them both. This is why it's not old-fashioned. <laughs> this has been around forever. Basically, the, the Greeks and the people in that culture, they just saw sex literally purely as physical. All right, I'm going to give you an illustration. You may think it's kind of crude, but give me a break. If you watch TV, you've seen 10 times worse in five seconds. All right, so we, we know when you have any kind of uh, object like this, we call this the female end. And we call this the male end. I have a class later in anatomy if you don't understand that, but uh, we're not going to get into that this morning, all right? And so you, you just you, you plug them together, and they fit, and they undo. And this is literally, we call that the male and the female end because that's how the parts line up. But it actually speaks more to the philosophy and the theology than 2,000 years ago that hasn't changed today because you know what they thought and what we oftentimes think sex is? That's it. It's just, it's just in, it's just out. It's just you put it in, oh, you feel the electricity, it feels great, it's exciting, and then when you're done or you want a different boyfriend or girlfriend or you want a different situation, you unplug and you go find somebody else. That has never changed. And this is what they're arguing. Come on, Paul. Sex is just like eating. It's no big deal. We get to heaven. It's not going to matter. I want you to hear me today. The problem in our culture, and it always has been in our culture, is we have too low a view of sex. God made sex, and he says, man, you're treating it awfully trivial. To just think that literally it's just no big deal. You go in and go out. Yeah, I made the electricity. God did all of that. But he says sex doesn't look like that at all. In fact, I bought something last night um, for you. This is what sex looks like. You join with someone together, and then when you find somebody else or you want to go somewhere else, it looks more like this. Right? 
It's not like that. I spent too much time with people to know that when you enter into sexual relationships, you don't just go in and out, but you begin to rip the very fibers of your being that you give to somebody. Oh, eventually it can become like that, and that's what God would like to prevent too, because now you've taken an amazing thing and turned it into an even tr more trivial thing that doesn't even affect who you are. But it's not in and out, it's not physical. This is what it means that you, your body is a member. The Bible says your body is only part of the whole. And sexual expression and sex is only part of your whole being. And so when you join with somebody, you're not just joining physically, you're joining themselves spiritually, emotionally, and all of the above. That's why Paul is saying it's so interesting. He says you can't join with a prostitute. This is what's so interesting. Prostitutes then were, were legal. So don't think about prostitution now where it'd be like, is it okay to visit a prostitute? Well, no, that's illegal. But basically they were just saying like anybody would say in the culture today, I mean, is it a big deal if I just have some people on the side? Is it a big deal if I just hook up with a few people? I mean, is it really a big deal if I just have friends with benefits? Is it really a big deal if I have sex before I get married? Is it really a big deal? It, Paul says, you know why it's a big deal? Because you keep thinking of sex in a very physical, just like eating manner, and you are missing the point. It's only part of the whole. It is meant to enter into your whole being into somebody, and it's meant to be more powerful, more greater than all of that. So yeah, it's a big deal, not because I don't want you to have sex. No, I want you to have it, and I want you to have it in the way that God has designed, that it would bring every part of your being and your fibers together. Because you know what's true, and I'm, I don't need to pull this out, but I, I've met with too many people. You know, have you ever put one of these like 3M things on a wall or on a window, and then you decide later, I don't want that hook there anymore, and you take it off? I mean, forever. It's like the little glue is there, and like things get stuck to it. It's just like, it's just, it's annoying. And you know what? Every time you engage with someone sexually, yeah, you can physically go in and physically come out, but there's a residue that they leave on your life and you leave on theirs. Because you cannot think that sexuality is just a sing or having sex is just a single part of you. It is all part of you. And so you want to know why God actually says to do it in marriage and don't do it outside of marriage, don't do it before marriage? I'll give you a reason written by a secular <laughs> um, uh, website, The Guardian the news, news Agency, wrote an amazing article that I'm like, yes, this is really good. Here's what they found. Check this out. Very interesting. Is there anything we need to know about sex? Apparently, yes. And the missing ingredient is a game changer, not just for individuals, but entire nations. This just came out four days ago. Sex has been center stage in our Western culture for decades, but what has been absent, according to this guy named Adam Wadler, creator of the world's first, this is funny, festival of togetherness. Doesn't that sound nice? Is the magic element that makes it all meaningful. None of these people are Christians, they don't have a biblical understanding, but they're catching why the Bible says to do sex the way it does. Listen, the holy grail, he says, is intimacy. Intimacy is the real taboo, though, in our culture. It's the things we fear because it's about taking off the mask that so many of us hide behind, and it's the key to being freer, happier, more alive, and it could change not only our personal lives, but the political decisions we take as a society. Yes, you are absolutely right, Adam, that sex doesn't even affect just you physically and emotionally and spiritually, but it affects the very aspects of all of our lives, including into the political and social and all the realms in our life. I mean, this guy's like preaching straight from the Bible. I love it. Wilder hopes his festival in central London coming in May, well, we won't make it, the next revolution we need to embark on is a revolution that will transform everything we knew about sex. <laughs> Except for we've known this for thousands of years, it's in the Bible, all right, sorry. Sex and intimacy, says Wilder, are closely connected. No, 
Duh. But in the decades since the sexual revolutions of the 1960s, the focus has been more and more on sex and less and less on intimacy. Of course, you can have sex without intimacy, but you just can't have intimacy without sex. But when you put the two together, of course, you can't have intimacy without sex. But when you put the two together, you have an experience that is in a different ballpark when it comes to fulfillment. He says the problem is people are afraid of intimacy. They're afraid of, to articulate the desires that could re- lead to real intimacy. But if we don't articulate those desires, we will never experience the potential of a relationship. I mean, he goes on and on and on. It's fascinating. And it's like, yes, this is exactly what I was talking about. But here's the thing. Here's what he doesn't talk about. How do you develop intimacy in a relationship? If that's going to make your sex better, how do you develop intimacy? You ever been to the doctor's office and they make you fi- sign all these papers now? And, and at the top of them, it's called what laws? What are they called? You've been a doctor. HIPAA laws? You're familiar with HIPAA laws? You've got to sign everything away saying that, you know, no one's going to know this. I mean, you know, Jerry can't even find out what I'm going to the doctor for unless I give permission. Because the point is, nobody should know all your personal business. And so they're assuring you that they're not going to spread everything about your personal life around. You know how intimacy gets developed? And if you want intimacy so you can have great sex and you have great relationships, how do you get intimacy? You give intimacy by the one thing that our culture keeps walking further and further away from. You get intimacy by security. You get security by commitment. So people just think, well, I'm I'm just going to try this out. We'll try living together. We'll try having sex before we get married. We'll just try this out. Here's the problem. You can't really know someone until they're fully secure until you're in a committed relationship. So why in the world would God say don't have sex before marriage? Because he doesn't want you to get into a relationship that you don't know anything about that person because they've withheld it from you because they want sex. Because really, truthfully, You could probably enjoy yourself with just about anybody. That's why prostitution still succeeds. But very few people will find the match, the person they love, the the relationship they desire, like it talks about in The Guardian. And so God is trying to protect you from minimizing and reducing what could be the greatest part of your life, the greatest part of the rest of your life. All right. So your body is your spouse's for that very reason. And we get intimacy by providing security. That's why in 1 Corinthians 7, 4, a bizarre statement in the Bible, but it's really good. It says, the wife does not have authority over her own body, but yields it to her husband. In the same way, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but yields it to his wife. It's talking about sexually, but it's, you might as well just fill in the blank there. What, what is the Bible basically saying? What is it saying? They're coming against each other. Exactly. Stalemate. Both of them in checkmate with the idea of a great relationship, just, just because you get married doesn't mean you'll be intimate. The way that you get to intimacy is providing security and commitment by, by saying, you know what, you go first by trying to outdo the other person in honoring and serving the other one. What is God trying to do in marriage? He's trying to kill your self-centeredness. Because ultimately, whether it's sex or anything else in life, if it is driven by self-centeredness, you eventually will lose its, its taste and its desire, and it will ruin everything else because you'll just move on to something else. But in marriage, when you, when you take a step back and say, this is not about me, but it's about you, you begin to actually find that intimacy and that fulfillment that God really, really wants for you. So ultimately, it's about integration. It's about having your whole life be integrated, not separating it. It's not just physical and over here spiritual, but it's about your whole life. When you are integrated, when your whole life is a whole, you will find the most fulfillment and the most satisfaction. If you're single today, the Bible is telling you, I know it can be hard, it can seem crazy. People tell you you're nuts, 
But the Bible says, wait for your spouse. Don't cheapen your body and your sexual life. I, I see it kind of as, you know, if it's not a big deal, it's kind of like that, that box people put out at a yard sale that say, I don't know, all those items are 35 cents. <laughs> I don't know, just they're 35 cents each. I mean, is that, is that what your sexuality is worth? Or do you put your sexuality up by the table so no one can steal it and say, no, 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 this one's got a high price on it. No one comes and takes this. Because this is me, this is the very fabric, the very fiber of my being. We, we've turned sex into the 35 cent toy box over here. It's really no big deal. Oh man, and it's become so small when God wants it to be so big. So important. But can you do this? Can you wait? Yes, you can. You won't die. I've never met anybody who died because they didn't have sex. I never have. I was told by two people this week when I counseled them that all their friends called them freaks because they were virgins, and I told them to go back and tell them, you know what, your pastor has never met or counseled with anybody nor seen anybody in history who became a freak because they didn't have sex, but I've met thousands and know of thousands that became freaks because they couldn't control their sexuality, who have abused millions because of their sexuality. I've never met anybody who's a freak because they haven't had sex, but if you have sex wrong, you can become a freak like this. It will overtake you and overpower you. And now we come back to what Paul said at the very beginning. What you thought you were free to do has now become your master. And it is degrading you and will degrade others and injure them as well. Protect it and guard it. The message says this. I know I'm going a couple minutes over, but please let me finish today. It's too important. The message says this. Listen to this. It wraps up my second point. This is what Eugene Peterson says again in Corinthians. There's more to sex. There's more to sex than mere skin on skin. Sex is as much spiritual mystery as physical fact. As written in scripture, the two become one. Since we want to become spiritually one with the master, we must not pursue the kind of sex that avoids commitment and intimacy, leaving us more lonely than ever. The kind of sex that can never become one. There is in a sense in which sexual sins are different from all others. In sexual sin, we violate the sacredness of our own bodies. These bodies that were made for God given and God modeled love for becoming one with one another. The physical part of you is not some piece of property belonging to the spiritual part of you. God owns the whole works, so let people see God in and through your body. One of the, one of the keys to being able to save yourself, and even if you've made mistakes, which I know many and many of you have, to even save yourself now for your future, your future spouse, you can do it, but it's, it's like the difference between like, you skipped a bunch of meals because you're busy, and then you go out someplace, and you're hungry, and you're starving. I just need to get something to eat and you're just trying to stop a hunger versus when you're dieting or you're doing something because you want to be healthy or you're going to be in a race or you're doing something, it's so much easier to say no to food because you have a purpose and a goal in mind. And if you understand what God wants to unlock in your life through your marriage, through intimacy, through sex and through all of that, if you even begin to capture how amazing God wants your life and your marriage and your sex life, it'll be a lot easier to diet the cheap sex now because you know you're gonna look good and enjoy it later. Make sense? Last point. My body is a weapon hmm. to be used for others though. The Bible makes it clear, listen, your body is a weapon, gonna go one way or the other. Church, hear this. Your body is a weapon. It will be used to hurt people or it will be used to help people. Romans 6 says this, do not offer any part of yourself, and in the other translations, but that word there is body. Don't offer any part of your body to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourself, your body, to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. I don't even have to ask the question today. I certainly wouldn't and have you respond, but 
I've, I would say, just from my own understanding and my own reading, that if I were to take a line down this room, it might be maybe from this aisle all the way over, that probably that many people in the room on average have been abused by somebody's body, oftentimes sexually, but at least physically, if not in other ways, at least two-thirds in some way or another. We can't be ignorant that the Bible is pretty, pretty, knows pretty well what's happening in our world behind closed doors and where people don't talk. And so I know that and I try to be sensitive to that as I go into these situations because I spend my life with you and I cry with you and we, we live together through the pain of it. And there is hope beyond of it. But you know, I don't have to convince you today that the body can be used for evil. This word here for unrighteousness and righteousness is almost the same word. It means this, catch this, this is cool, we're almost done. It just means don't use your body for injustice, but use your body for justice. And what is justice? To, 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 to not be oppressive, to, to bring equality and, 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 and fairness to, to the people and the, and the situations around you in your life. That's why when Galatians now says in three, what people who decide to follow Jesus, there is now neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, male nor female, for you all one in Christ. What is the Bible basically saying? Is even if you've been offended and been oppressed in injustice because of your race, your gender, or your ethnicity, well now Jesus takes all that away from you and the seemingly rights and authorities that you may have over that and says, you know what, forget that. Turn your race, your gender, and your ethnicity into something that can bring justice for others. Don't focus on all the injustice that's been done in your life. Just focus on how you can bring justice to others in those situations. Think about the rest of your body, whether it's your sexuality, as we talked about tonight, or your hands, your feet, your eyes, your mouth, your tongue, your strength, your influence, your power. The Bible says that once you give your life to Jesus, see, this is the vision that Paul is trying to people to understand about being a Christian, is that you have a different way you view this world. You're honoring God with your life and not focusing on your life. You're, you're giving yourself fully to one person so that you can be fully known and also know someone fully and give them love and intimacy and connection. And then also you give yourself to the world as an instrument, a weapon of justice and not injustice to use your, 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 your gender, your power, your ethnicity, whatever you are, your, your hands, your feet, to bring justice to people in, the, in this world that is full of injustice. That's what God wants us to do with our bodies. What, a, what an amazing vision. Yes, I will subscribe to that. I want to be a part of that. I don't want to be part of the people that are bringing more injustice to the world or oppressing people through their own desires, their own wants, but I want to be someone that helps others. Would you, would you stand to your feet this morning and close your eyes? It's so important that we close here correctly, especially in light of all that we talked about this morning. Close your eyes with me. Let's just respond in a couple ways. First, the Bible says in 1 John 4, it says, God showed us how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world that we might have life through him. Then it says, this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice for your sins. Catch this today before you go. Those of you who've been pursuing relationships, pursuing sex, pursuing whatever, you need to know the reality today that there's a God who has been pursuing you since the day you were born. Oh, he's been pursuing you. Yeah, he wishes that you hadn't done some of those things and are going around doing those things, but you know what? He loves you nonetheless, and he can't stop pursuing you. And today, you could stop your pursuit 
and receive the pursuit of one who will love you, who will cherish you, who will stop all the striving and the working of trying to build your own value and your own worth and your obsession over all those things and trying to figure it out and finding fulfillment and happiness by just stopping and allowing him to overtake you and no longer run away from him. Also, for some of you, it's an opportunity to receive God's forgiveness for any unrighteous thing that you've done, for any injustice or abuse or, or just what you've taken from others or how you haven't lived for God. The Bible says if, you're fa- if you confess your sins, God is faithful and just to forgive you of all unrighteousness. If you're here today and you've never made a decision just to stop, to let Jesus really overtake you, to ask him to forgive you of your sins, to actually make a decision to follow him. I pray that today, not my words, I can't do a good enough job, but maybe the words of of the scripture, the words of life that come from Jesus would compel you to a greater vision for your life of not not what not to do, but of what to do, of what Jesus wants to do in your life. You've never made a decision to follow him, but today you'd like to do that. You'd like to be overtaken by the great pursuer of your soul. Would you just lift your hand up to the Lord and look up at me? No one's looking around, but I just, I just want to pray for you. I don't want you to leave today. Yeah, I see your hand right there in the back. Amen. Who else? done pursuing all those other things and ready to receive the one who really loves you. Anybody else? I don't want to miss you. Wave at me or look up at me if I don't see you. Thank you, Lord. How many of you would say with no one looking around especially, but we would just say, man, I need God's forgiveness. You've messed up sexually. You've messed up in other ways. You've allowed your body to just um, uh, take instead of give. And you just today you want God's forgiveness. Would you lift your hands to the Lord? You don't need to look at me, but Man, allow God to bring his forgiveness and his grace in your life. No one's looking around. Don't worry about that. Lord, we lift our hands to you and say, God, cleanse us today. Help us to walk new and walk fresh. Yes, Lord. Bring your spirit into each of these lives. You can put your hands down. Last two things before you go. The Bible also gives us two more great promises. He says, he who Jesus sets free is free indeed. And I know many, many of you. I don't know who you are, but I already know. I know you. I I know without knowing that you've been hurt, you've been abused, you've been wounded by people's bodies. And it's not just as simple as I wish it would be as just a simple prayer on a Sunday morning and everything's better, but it can start. Your healing can start here. Your freedom can start here this morning by just acknowledging and saying, God, I want to give those wounds and those hurts to you. Jesus, start providing healing. I don't know who you are. You don't have to raise your hand for that, but but it could start today by a choice to say, God, I'm going to give you that hurt. I'm going to give you that violation, that abuse. And Lord, I want to live for you. Lord, help us to do that. Give us the, the boldness to do that. And lastly, lastly, I just, so many of you I've been thinking and praying about, but lastly, there are some of you that are just, you're struggling. Yeah, you want to do it right. You want to live for God. And yet you keep falling back into problems and back into sin, back into mistakes, back into being self-focused or, or sexually focused. Just keep falling back into it, but you really want to follow the Lord. Jesus says, come to me and you will not thirst again. Today, again, you can't fix it all today, but you can start a journey that says, God, would would you help me to start focusing in on you, start living for you and having a greater understanding and purpose ahead of me that'll give me the ability to start living for you. Make a decision today, whoever you are, to really get serious and maybe confess it to someone, maybe come talk to somebody. Really start doing something different instead of just what you've been doing over and over again and trusting that God could work in your life. I believe that he is and will do it if you'll turn it over to him. 
Lord God, we thank you for this uh, morning, a difficult topic, but Lord, one that you've given such great hope and such great joy for us, Lord, if we will learn to trust you and follow you in it. And I, I pray you'd help us in this journey as we stumble along the way. In Jesus' name, amen, amen.